if we could come together around that boardroom, that table, and be authentic in our conversations and be sincere and just be kind, we could achieve so much more. Welcome to Careers in Fashion. Welcome to LCF Careers in Fashion, the podcast series that supports you through your career. My name is Michelle. I work within the Graduate Futures Department as a careers consultant. Today, myself and my co-host Morella will be speaking with pioneers of the industry to look at specific topics within the beauty industry. Morella, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. My name is Mirella. I'm enterprise consultant here at Graduate Futures. And today we'll have the pleasure to talk with Erica and Jill about the beauty industry changes, what's coming up and trends and how anyone who wishes to be involved in the beauty industry can come to the, this market and bring some real change. So equality, diversity and inclusion remain key drivers with regards to students deciding what types of businesses or even what type of sectors within the beauty industry that they want to work in. At LCF, equality, diversity and inclusion are at the heart of how we work and we want to ensure that our students have equal opportunities in an inclusive industry. That leads me on to introduce you to our first guest, Jill Morris. Yes, thank you, Michelle. And can I take this opportunity to thank you for um, inviting me? And I'm delighted to share my story with you. I originally trained as a beauty therapist back in the 70s. There was only five FE colleges at that time. The others were all private and it, they were a little bit like a finishing school. And our clientele at the time was very much ladies who lunched. So there wasn't a great deal of equality and diversity then. So I did my two years at, at college and I worked in a salon and I had my own salon. And then I worked in the supply side of the industry. I worked for Ellison's for 10 years as a UK technical sales executive. I brought in the first non-acrylic gel nails. I brought in and introduced blend electrolysis. I sat on on a great number of college advisory committees, including LCF. I travelled the UK to promote gel nails and blend electrolysis, and I led on research and development and new product development. I co-wrote my first book, I was on breakfast television for the public awareness campaign for electrolysis. I was chair of the Beauty Industry Authority, which joined with hairdressing to become Habia and was a founding and board director of Habia. I was chair of Beauty for UK Skills, which introduced beauty as a demo trade of where we won gold. I was director of training and public relations for Sterex Electrolysis for five years. I developed new equipment. I traveled the world to support our distributors in over 40 countries. I've run my own business. I have written, co-written and edited four more books. I'm currently chair of the City and Guilds Beauty Advisory Committee and I'm asked to comment on and review national occupational standards in blemish removal at level four and level five. I've worked with a number of leading companies such as Skin Group International based in Harley Street who train in aesthetic skincare up to level six 
And I still deliver training in electrolysis, which is my specialism. Something I want you guys to consider is that there is more to the beauty industry than the business to client or business to consumer side. There is the business to business side, so the supply side. Thank you very much, Joe. And Erica, would you like to introduce yourself, please? It's an honour and a privilege to be here. I am Erica Fremantle and I've actually known Jill for a very, very long time. I, I listened to Jill there and I was, wow. And the beauty industry is just that. It's full of wows and there are so many different things that you can do. So let me tell you a little bit about me and my journey. I've been in the industry for nearly 35 years. My career started out as a makeup artist and it was by an accident. So you see me here with my shaved head. For those of you that don't know me at all, my head is shaved. Why? It's not a fashion statement. I was involved in a car accident. That accident left me with over 250 scars to my face near amputation of my left leg and all of my hair fell out. This is 30 five years ago. Anyone that has hair, we all know what our hair means to us. Our hair is our beauty. When I was in this car accident, 250 scars to my face, and I know that because they took out 250 pieces of glass. And my, as I said, the near amputation to my left leg. My left leg wasn't a problem. Even losing my hair wasn't that much of a problem, but it was the scars on my face. As a child growing up in the 60s, there was this film that we saw. It was called The Elephant Man. Well, The Elephant Man, I felt like his wife with the scars on my face. I was able to relate to The Elephant Man because I felt so ugly. My ugly became my career. My ugly became who I was. And sometimes to this day who I am. But I've turned the word ugly around. And my ugly is my beauty. And I'll explain to you. All those years ago, there was no makeup available for black women. And when I say black women, black, you know, is such a comprehensive scale of different undertones, not colours undertones so there was no foundations available to alleviate or even cover my scars I'm quite dark I'm very very dark skinned so what did I have to do I had to get some earth from the garden mix it with water put it on my face and that became my foundation I had no idea what I was doing but then over a period of time I could see that my scars started to heal and I'd remember something at school about clay healing the skin when you're desperate, you're desperate. Anyway, moving forward a few years later, I decided that I wanted to help other people with scars. I had no qualifications. I left school with no qualifications at all. Had no voice. I was ugly. I was told I'd never amount to anything. So when you're told all of these things and you fall into that self-fulfilling prophecy, that's how you think. I then decided that I wanted to pursue makeup artistry, even though I didn't know what it was. But I knew I wanted to help myself and others. I found a school at the time called Complexion School of Makeup. Up, based in Holborn. I was a girl from Brixton. Holborn is probably 10 miles away, but it felt like traveling 100 miles. And I was the only black girl there. But what I found, I met with other women from around the world. They were all Caucasian women that had never touched or even spoken to a black woman much less played and used a black skin as a model. So for one time, for one period in my life, I became the most popular person ever. I had scars, I had no hair, but everybody liked me. Everybody wanted to be my friend and I became everyone's model. Now, the reason why I tell you that story is, is you never know who and why you meet people at relevant times in your life. Moving forward now to this day, I am the world's most renowned makeup artist in the background. I no longer apply 
apply makeup. But what I do do is I advise multinational brands about undertones and the right way to create a makeup for women of colour. What I educate them on is there's a difference between Jamaicans and the difference between African skin tones. And not a lot of people think like that or the different undertones and the different food that we eat and how it affects our skin, how our cultures affect who we are, how our cultures define who we are and how it makes us walk the way that we do with pride or not. And they're the things that I bring to the melting pot when looking at developing makeup. I've also just been featured in a next documentary called Skin. It trended. I was the lady that was in there and spoke about hating the black skin that I lived in. So this is where my diversity and inclusion comes in. I wanted to bleach my skin to become a white woman or as close as white as I could be. But again, all of that had to do with a lot of my culture insecurity and my parents' insecurity. So yeah, so right now I'm enjoying who I am as a mature woman it took a long time to get there but it's with colleagues like Jill and another lady by the name of Liz McClafferty and I look back these are the women here in the UK that supported me to become Erica Fremantle that's speaking to you here and now so I know that was a bit of a long introduction but you need to know who I am and where I'm coming from so that you understand that I do understand where you need to go. Thank you very much, Erica and Jill, for introducing yourself. So today's conversation is specifically about the beauty industry to establish its evolution with regards to the diversity and to discuss the directory in which the industry is headed. When I look at the beauty industry or even fashion brands in industry today, I see that there is a wealth of diversity with regards to imagery, age, colour, religion, even ableism. The foundations of the beauty industry is rooted in choice. You've got different makeup brands, you've got different skincare products, even hair products and beauty treatments too. Tell me, Jill, <laughs> how has choices changed since you first started with the industry with regards to being diverse and more inclusive? Well, there wasn't any. I first went to college in 1974 and there wasn't choice. There wasn't choice in products. There wasn't choice in models. There wasn't choice in the theory of the skin that, that we were going to go on to treat. Everybody was Caucasian. So, so what happened as a result of that, there was no diversity in those delivering the training. There was no diversity in those being trained. There was no diversity in the models coming for treatment. So consequently, there was no diversity in those starting businesses. So where did people of darker skin pigmentation, where did they go? Where were, were the experts? I think this was such a big part of the population. Nobody knew. If I'm sounding angry, it's because when I look back, and when you're 17, 18, you don't think about it. But when I look back, it was just appalling. I first got involved, I specialised in electrolysis. The lady who I first went to work for, she was an electrolysis expert so we did quite a lot of medical treatments and we had a lot of black men in with tremendous folliculitis problems in their beards and I was treating a lot of black male skins so I, I, don't, I, I don't know what I'm doing here I need there was no books Erica you wrote the first book on black makeup artistry that wasn't till the 80s 
So when I first started, the late 70s, there was absolutely nothing. So it gives me great pleasure to look at how the industry is now. My God, we've still got a long way to go. And I'm not just talking about darker pigmentation skin types, but things like transgender community. The pronouns that we use are incorrect. We are deeply offensive. So there's there's so much stuff that we need to be aware of. And when we're taught our contraindications, I mean, when I was taught contraindications, you couldn't touch anybody with epilepsy. You couldn't Mm -hmm. touch anybody who was a medically controlled diabetic. You Mm -hmm. couldn't do this, you couldn't do that. You certainly couldn't go near a cancer patient. Mm -hmm. Yet one of the main things now is the therapeutic benefits of massage to people going through cancer treatments. So even our contraindications were discriminatory. Not only was it a bit elitist when I first trained, it was discriminatory. And the equality and inclusion issue is very broad and needs to be addressed. We need more Erica Fremantles. <laughs> so in summary to this, I think great strides have been made, but we still have a long way to go. And EDI is not just an issue of skin pigmentation. Thank you very much, Jill. Erica, just keeping on this topic, we are noticing more and more often that brands are using these global events, these movements to market their brands. So how do you think both the beauty and the fashion industry are reflecting the diversity of our modern society, both internally and externally? Because it's not just about how they are marketing themselves and changing their value proposition, but also internally, how they are recruiting, promoting their staff, how they are empowering their staff and consumers to be more authentic and own their own beauty? You know, that's such a brilliant question. While you were asking the question, I had to break it down in my mind. And one word came to me and you said it right at the end, which was authentic. I think a lot of brands are not authentic. I think they just emulate one another. They just wait for somebody else to do something. And if they see that it's working or it appears that it's working, then they'll do that. You know, diversity and inclusion for me is really important, especially from a skin perspective in all areas, but skin. And I'll tell you why. I'm a black woman. So from my point of view, as a a first generation born in the UK, my perspective at almost 60 years old is completely different to somebody who's in their 20s. However, life has a cycle. It's a seven year cycle. So what's being done now has already happened before, but it's just portrayed in a different way. I think a lot of brands are hypocrites. I think, as I said before, a lot of them don't know what to do, but a lot are trying. So just because somebody brings in an Asian or a black person into their office, it doesn't mean that they're not, dare I say, racist or prejudiced or even ignorant, but they're doing it because they've been called to do it. Whereas others that are doing it and that are authentic about it, you know who they are because it's just natural. It just feels right. So there are I can always talk about things from a makeup point of view because I am a makeup expert. I didn't really branch out into the beauty industry. Brands are lazy. Makeup brands are lazy. I think it was in the late 90s. I was at an event and I stood up and I asked the question to a renowned pharmaceutical company. And I asked them at the time, I said, can you tell me why there is not enough or why there aren't any more? makeup brands for dark skinned women it was a man he looked at me in my face in the audience of about 250 people and he said 
there's not enough shelf space. I can't tell you what that did to me as a human being because he didn't even say you were at the bottom of the shelf. He said indirectly, you're not relevant, you're not worthy. And that's when I decided, you know, many years ago that I had to be the voice for women that don't have a voice. Jill touched upon something which is very dear and close to my heart, cancer. I've had breast cancer twice and I've dealt with many women that have, you know, gone through the same. But I've also found that even women of colour, when we're coming through, there are no products, there are no specialist treatments for us, there are no groups for us to go to. So what you find is the narrative amongst us when we do mix with other ethnic groups, there's a clash because we come from different places. Let's call a spade a spade. And that's what I believe in. We can come together and learn from one another. But when we're going through what we're going through, we can only go back to the drawing board. So in my opinion, to answer your question, I think a lot of people should be a lot more transparent in the space speak a lot more truthful, get over that hurt. In the 80s, as I said, I was asked to come to London College of Fashion to write a makeup course. I was the first person to do that. We didn't get that many bums on the seat. But for me, what it did, it gave me the confidence to go out there and teach my Caucasian counterparts about what I felt they needed to know about us as women of colour. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying us as women of colour don't need to know about our Caucasian counterparts. We do. But if you went to school here, if you were educated here that's the first thing you're going to learn anyway so Jill you touched on something you said when you're 18 you don't really notice it you didn't really notice it but when you're 18 and living it you do notice it so again that's you being really transparent and I appreciate that and I love that but that's again shows that we were totally totally ignored and in the 70s my parents came to the UK they were like the first lot to come over so there wasn't really that much focus for Caribbeans that were one of the first groups and these are all things that everyone needs to know the Africans Nigerians West Africans came later they were still around but as groups because we came on the Windrush period so my parents generation who were teenagers were those 18 year olds were those 21 year olds that had just left home were thinking more about surviving as opposed mm-hmm. to their careers which later the Africans that came that were a lot more more armed because we paved the way and then you had the Asians that came over a lot in in the 70s so all of these things all those parts of history are relevant to where we are now but I don't think people take those things into consideration and then when you look at fashion when you look at beauty where does the world look whether they want to admit it or not they look at Africa a lot of things come from Africa and people are inspired by Africa and people don't realize whether they're you know British born or not and I think that's the missing link I think if we could come together around that boardroom that table and be authentic in our conversations and be sincere and just be kind we could achieve so much more because the beauty industry is about ego we all know those of us that work in the beauty and fashion but especially beauty industry one wrong word you can crush somebody one wrong word and it's really important that the language the narrative is nurtured and taken care of it's really about going back to the core and being open about what's needed and what's missing if you keep doing the same thing you're going to keep getting the same results
Brilliant. Uh, I have a follow-up question, but I think you pretty much answered this. Have you seen any challenges that brands have faced in their efforts to reflect principles of diversity and inclusion? If you're going to be inclusive, be inclusive in everything, not just skin tones, in everything, disabilities, everything. Just be inclusive and bring different people of different backgrounds to that boardroom and then you'll get that balance. Absolutely. Thanks, Erica. So I'd like to turn to you now. Across the world, we can see this new normal being navigated throughout all industry, but mainly the beauty industry. There is a new normal post-pandemic, whereas we are seeing people not afraid to talk about their relationships with beauty, with their body, and there is, I would say, more respect about our own individuality. How do you think the beauty industry as a whole has been adapting to this new reality post-COVID? Complex, but good question. Yeah, what is the new normal? You ask 100 people, you get 100 new definitions. I think to answer that question, we need to understand that the beauty industry is sort of like two parts. So you've got the big multinationals, the big companies, the supply side. And then you have the people that are client facing, the, the business to, to consumer people. And the beauty industry is really made up of thousands of, of micro businesses that mm. are owner operator. And 65% of the beauty businesses in this country are self-employed. And I think the industry side thinks of this as a, a marketing opportunity and is creating things to, to meet this new normal. But I'm, I'm not quite sure how the owner operator of the high street beauty salon or the the mobile operator or whatever how they can take advantage of it now those that i've spoken to are more concerned now about mental well-being i mentioned before about cancer care mm -hmm. and i think those that have done customer surveys they understand that clients now their mm -hmm. definition of beauty is now more about skincare it's mm -hmm. more about well-being Menopause is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Men's skincare, there's an increased focus on service. Most beauty therapists are trained to the same standard. Where is the means of differentiation? The means of differentiation is not in what you deliver, but how you deliver it. So, and companies like Fab Service Stars, they're focusing on quantifying service and, and promoting those that are good. Pregnancy treatments. Years ago, I talked about co contraindications. You couldn't you couldn't wax somebody who was pregnant now pregnancy waxing training is all over the place so we used to be treatments driven but now we're results driven and that's coming from our clients and, and our potential clients but something I would like to stress to your graduates is how important consultations are. There's quite a drive at the moment and, and has been for a little while to get them all done online. The client can do them before they, they come in or the potential client, because in my view, they are a potential client till the consultation has been completed. It's only then they become a client when you've agreed the treatment programme. And it seems to me that we often don't spend enough time face to face 
asking the right questions, listening to the answers and adapting future questions based on those answers. So we are tailor making the treatment program to meet and suit the the needs of, of that particular client. I can't stress enough consultation are vital. And I think even more with, with this new normal, whatever that is, is that beauty therapists need to understand that being a great therapist, and I've said this for years, is no guarantee of business success. So it's no good being great if nobody knows. So you and Erica, we sing from the same hymn sheet. If you're wonderful, you need to let people know. You need to let, there's a lot of potential clients out there. And I hope the new normal embraces some sort of, whether you you want to put it under the marketing umbrella, but really, really good people finding a voice and let people know how good they are. And I really hope that is taken on board. So what will be the new normal? I don't know. No, but I do think, Erica, you said it, kindness. I think we've all learned that. And I do hope that as a positive from this whole COVID nightmare is that we are nicer to each other. We are more thoughtful. We think of what we say, what we do and the impact that has on other people. You're absolutely right, Jill. There's this post-pandemic. So just when it was happening at the beginning, the beauty industry was the one that was, in my opinion, affected the most. And there were a lot of wannabes, could have been, thought I was a beauty therapist, but they got tested. And I know many, whether the beauty therapists, hairdressers, makeup artists, people in the industry that are no longer. They didn't have the bandwidth, the tenacity, the strength, the courage. But what I really think the new normal is going to be on the back of this in years to come, and Jill touched on it, is well-being. If you're a beauty therapist, get trained to be a counsellor or coaching or something, because you're going to be armed. You're going to be bombarded with people's problems. And as a beauty therapist and a hairdresser and a makeup artist, we get that anyway. But now it's not your responsibility to take that on unless you are qualified. So you could be giving people the wrong advice simply because you feel it's the right thing to do. So you have to learn how to create those boundaries and look after yourself. That's one thing I would definitely say about our industry, because you can be kind to everyone else, but you need to be kind to yourself first and foremost. And you can't take on board the world's responsibility. And I say that because I've gone through that myself. I've seen people on the back even now during COVID because we're not, I don't think we'll ever come out of it. The world will never be as it was. But please, it's important to look after yourself and create your own little safe networks. So you have networks, you're going to have Facebook groups or whatever, but have yourself a mentor and also find yourself with people that you can be yourself with because that's far more important than all the money in the world. If your own well-being is being looked after, then you can look after other people's. I can't stress that enough. So going along with the topic with regards to the new norm, an alert actually came out this morning from the Business of Fashion, their latest case study is how to seize fashion's gaming opportunity. It explores how fashion and beauty brands have recently leaned into the multi-billion dollar gaming industry to extend themselves into virtual spaces where people are spending more and more time post-pandemic or during pandemic. Considering the advent of AI, so artificial intelligence, and AR, so artificial reality, where do you guys see the beauty industry heading for the future? Let me just say this. Ten years ago, Instagram frightened me. To me, that 
was futuristic. It was, I was told at the time, if you don't jump on board, you're going to be left behind. I really believe that now about the future and all the things that you've just said. I really don't know. I haven't got the answer for that. But I do know that I need to be and keep abreast of what's going on. I mean, I've got to the stage where it doesn't matter as much for me because I'm getting to the stage at the end of my career. But for those of you that are starting out in your career, you have to be open minded. You have to learn as many things that you can. You have to network with different people that can, you know, articulate, show you around new areas of industry. But for me, it's very frightening. That's a very frightening question and a reality for me to have to even think artificial intelligence. What does that look like? But you know what? It might not be that frightening. I'm game, but I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if you know, Ju. I don't know if you want to answer that one. Yeah, I don't know what it's going to look like. All I would say, being in the industry for a long time, when you understand business, and I'm going to use some well-coined well phrase, you have a SWOT analysis and a pestle analysis. And the T of pest is technology. And one of the things as a business owner that you have to be aware of is political impacts, economic impacts, social impacts, and technological impact. When I first started, thing like non-surgical facelifts and uh, microdermabrasion, etc that that would have been from planet venus so i think whatever business you're in we have to bear in mind the the t of pest the technology issue and we have to embrace it now with all technology there will be phenomenal stuff but there will also be entry level stuff and and i think as erica (laughs) quite rightly said we don't know what it's going to look like but there will be various levels and and i'm sure manufacturers will offer training and, and support and encouragement for makeup going back Back a few years you put your face into a screen took a photo and pressed buttons and it gave you different makeup looks well when I first started that was unheard of Absolutely. so yeah. I, I would say I don't know what it looks like but don't let's be scared of it let's embrace it as it comes along it won't come along as the finished article it will be gradual and we will be introduced to it so em- embrace it because if you don't your competitors will and when you're looking for jobs having a knowledge and an understanding of where we might be going might be useful thank you and you took the spin with regards to employability because obviously we're seeing more and more of our graduates trying to pursue careers with employers who require you to understand technical skills as well as transferable skills and strong ethics so Jill what new opportunities and roles do you anticipate opening up as a reflection of this mindset shift with regards to artificial reality artificial intelligence as well as having the complementary transferable skills and strong ethics I think employers will want an interview or off the page on your CV will want to see a willingness to embrace new things that perhaps you have attended a webinar, you've attended a Zoom meeting, you've attended an introduction to or an awareness of of these things. Because a lot of salon owners, they're so busy doing the doing, they're actually relying on the new blood that they bring in to bring in these new skills, to to make, make their business more up to date and more aware. But I would counsel us going too mad because 
first. It is a service industry. It's personal care. And that has to come first. However, we can use AI and AR, however, we can use this new technology. It must be to further what we can do in the personal services landscape. But employers want their employees to bring new skills. They want to improve. But I would also say to your graduates to remember the ask factors, ASK, attitude, skills, knowledge. You can gain skills, you can gain knowledge, but you have to have the right attitude that can't be taught. Can I also jump on the back of that, Jill? You know, you said something that made my heart skip. Training, training and more training, because if you are dependent on fresh blood, young blood or new knowledge, that means your business can fail literally overnight if you're dependent on others to do that for you. And then if you don't have the training and that person's not well, they don't come in for whatever reason, that could be the day that your business goes under. So embrace everything that you say and gain the knowledge yourself as the business owner and whatever your counterparts are bringing in, you should know about that too. You should be trained on that too. And and again, this brings us back to, to, to the business side of things, being aware of what's going on with your competition. It is a highly competitive marketplace. A lot of owner operators are so busy working in the business that they have no time to work on the business. I really do underline and embolden the in and the on. It's no good being the busiest therapist in the salon when you're the salon owner or the clinic owner. You need to be working on that business, driving it forward, doing your SWOT analysis, doing your PEST or PESEL analysis, competitive analysis. And part of that is seeing what's going on in the industry and being a part of it and moving forward and being a leader, not a follower. Fantastic. Yes, so we are coming to an end, unfortunately, but I'd like to hear from both of you if you can share some key attributes that students who want to become self-employed or work on a freelance basis, if they have the ambition to work in the beauty industry, what are the attributes that the industry is demanding awareness of? Hard work. Nobody's going to give you a business. Nobody's going to stop competitors coming along. The friends and the colleagues you have whilst you've been at LCF, they are actually your competitors now. So what are you going to do to make your business different? You've got to be tenacious. And I go back actually, Morella, to what I said just before, that you've got to work on the business, not just in the business you know just being a great therapist is is not enough so you know marketing is important understanding anticipating where the market's going to go and offering it before others do and offering it better than others do and charge a decent price far too many people do not charge their worth and also I would say for those that do want to be um, self-employed and as I said earlier 65% of the industry is so that could be working from home mobile could be working at home a converted garage shed or building a bedroom it could be that you work in what I call host businesses so businesses that don't offer beauty services it could be hairdressers it could be a gym it could be a leisure facility it could be a bridal shop and you rent a room and you do the the services there there's lots of there's lots of ways of uh, of doing it but I go back to what I said before, being a great therapist isn't enough. You've got to work on the business as well as in. I would like to add to that by saying the key attributes are, and I'll always go back to this, time, kind and mind. 
be on time, be kind and be mindful. It's also important to make sure that you're up to date with, even if it's not the technical stuff on knowledge about the industry itself. Know your stats, know your facts, know who's doing what. And as Jill said, people in the room with you, the people that you're studying with now are your competitors, but they are also your future. One of you, some of you, most of you, maybe all of you are going to become the best at what you do. So it's important to learn from now how to build and nurture relationships. I can't tell you enough. I am all about well-being. I'm all about the heart. Kind and a clean heart people remember you they'll always come back to you so yes be business savvy do all of those things remember you can always delegate once you're building your business you can always employ people to do certain things but remember you must always know a little bit about those things but time kind and mind will take you anywhere in the world even if you don't speak a second language wherever you go in the world you know and all the things that you're learning now they're going to be with you for life this is your footprint this is your passport for life you know you may twist it you might turn it on its head but this is the fundamental knowledge that will give you the pathway to become successful in the careers that you've chosen in the beauty industry and as Jill said at the opening of this conversation the beauty industry has so many different strands I told you I started off as a makeup artist now I'm advising multinational brands around the world and I'm doing a lot of things around mental health and coaching in the beauty space so you can do whatever you want to do but you need to have that fundamental knowledge and understand the industry and understand who the key players are know those people go to networking events it's really important you can meet people but it's nurturing relationships you never know that person sitting to your left to your right in front or behind you what they can do for you in 10 15 years time it's not about the now so if you can nurture those relationships build relationships be kind be mindful you can go very far. Thank you very much, ladies. We've now come to the end of our podcast today. Thank you very much for giving some fantastic advice and tips. So just to recap, today we've spoken to Jill Morris and Erica Fremantle and looked at the beauty industry to establish its evolution with regards to diversity and discussed the directory that the beauty industry's heading in. My name is Michelle and as I said before, I work within the Graduate Futures Department and thank you for listening.